everyone. Welcome to Creekside Chats, your midweek resource to keep you going with David and Ryan. I'm Ryan, and this is David. Heyo. This podcast is going to be a weekly resource in which we talk about various topics within our church and explore some ideas a little more in-depth. Creekside Chats can be found on all major platforms, including Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Stitcher, Pocket Cast and Breaker. If you like what you hear, go on any one of these platforms, subscribe to us, give us a listen, leave us a comment if you'd like with some encouraging words. You can leave not encouraging words, but we probably won't read those as much because we don't want our feelings hurt or anything like that. (laughs) Um, Last week, we explored my own philosophy in worship and learned whether I prefer a sloppy wet kiss or an unforeseen kiss. You can go back and listen to see which one it is. This week, the tables are being flipped, and I'm the one asking David the questions. David is the pastor at Creekside Church, a church plant that was started just over a year ago in Goose Creek, South Carolina, just outside of Charleston. David, how you doing today, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing pretty good. I actually had some surgery last Thursday, and uh, surgery so that I could breathe better, and hopefully I don't sound as nasally as I have for the last, I don't know, 20-some-odd years. And uh, I'm healing, recovering pretty well, and uh, praise be to God that I was able to get that done so I can breathe better. Has your world been open to all sorts of new smells and things (laughs) yet? Well, yes, it actually has. I can taste better. I seem to hear better. I seem to breathe better, and... I've smelled a lot of good things better, and I've also smelled a lot of bad things better. <laughs> is, but all in all, yes, I can breathe much better. Is there anything that, like, the smell has completely changed for you that maybe you liked it before and you don't like it now, or vice versa, maybe you didn't like it before? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, probably the smell of bacon. <laughs> It just smells a lot better. Oh. <laughs> I couldn't smell it at all, and now That's I can smell it. That's a terrible life to not be yeah. able to smell bacon. Yeah, but I noticed that bacon and uh, the coffee in the morning, I can smell mm. a lot better. Just my whole world has kind of shifted and been opened up. Nice. Well, actually, my first question was going to be a very controversial question to start things off. Oh, boy. Are you a crispy bacon guy? Or a chewy bacon guy. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I am actually chewy. Me too. <laughs> I'm chewy. Chewy bacon. Crispy uh, breaks off too much, and you don't really get all of it. You lose little flakes here and there, little yes. crumbs here and there. Yes, I totally agree. I grew up chewy bacon, so I, maybe that's why I'm chewy bacon. Um, well, how about tell us a little bit about your life, Um how you got from being a kid with hopes and dreams and aspirations to being a pastor of a church plant. Was being a pastor of a church plant what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah, those are really great questions. And I'll first of all answer the the question about, did I foresee myself as being the pastor of a church plant or a church planter? Absolutely not. (laughs) Um, Whenever I was young, really young, I had one goal in mind, and that was to become heavyweight champion of the world. (laughs) Side note, 
Of what? <laughs> uh, heavyweight champion of the World Wrestling Federation or yes. entertainment, whichever <laughs> you prefer. I was the next Hulk Hogan. Um, but that kind of changed over the years and moved from heavyweight champion into the best quarterback or the best running back. But my mom's a little short and my dad's um, not too quick on his feet. So I don't know if you know much about science, Ryan, but I did not have good genetics to be the next Barry Sanders or the next Peyton Manning. (laughs) Somehow or another, uh, whenever I was about 16, I really felt like God had a calling on my life to be in ministry of some sort. And pastoring still wasn't on the horizon, wasn't anything that I was thinking about. It wasn't something that I thought that I could do. I just thought I was going to be a student pastor. Hmm. And I was what you might refer to as the leader of the student ministry, the student leader, so to speak, and would rally the troops, so to speak, to say, guys, we've got we've to do better. We've got to pursue the Lord. And uh, at 19 years old, I started pursuing that, became a student resident uh, or a student pastor resident at 19. I was still in college and that uh, took about three years where I did that, worked in student ministry, worked with students um, of a student ministry back in uh, First Baptist North Augusta. And it was a fairly large student ministry, about 100, 200 kids. Um, I was in charge of running a lot of the things that we did, a lot of the ministries that we had, and particularly uh, discipled a lot of the students. Now, somewhere in that, um, I think I, uh, <laughs> I didn't exactly have the best personality for students. Um, if you know me, you know me well. I'm actually 27, kind of going on 92-ish. Uh, 92, 104 on the inside, whatever it is. Old soul. Yeah, very old soul. And uh, I was just kind of drifting away. I wasn't as passionate about student ministry, but didn't know what was next and had some mutual friends that were at the church at Cane Bay and, uh, was originally going to be the student pastor at church at Cane Bay, but, um, some things kind of fell through on my end and I became a church planting resident with them for about a year. And where is church at Cane Bay? Church at Cane Bay is in Cane Bay, um, South Carolina, which is a new, um, new subdivision. It's probably, and at one time was in the top 10 fastest growing in the United States of America. And, um, this was a church plant that started in 2011. And so in 2014, my wife and I, we had been married for only a couple of years. We packed up a truck and we moved to church at Cane Bay to become a pastoral resident and did that for about a year. They brought me on full time and then some things started to really change. Um, I got involved with this uh, envisioning tool for church planning uh, called Cypress. And I heard a man by the name of Neil McGlowan uh, start using this language of every man, woman, and child. Mm-hmm. What would it look like for our churches to be involved and to envision a not just a vision for our churches to succeed, but a vision for our churches to reach every man, woman, and child, and that really um, God ignited something in my heart that I knew um, he was He was kind of stirring me, not necessarily to plant a church, but he was stirring me to be more 
on mission, to be more focused on and on mission. And um, somewhere in that, God just continued to stir. He continued to stir. He confirmed a lot of things. Um, my wife had a job in the city of Goose Creek and started to see the clientele that would come into her place of, of work and um, folks who couldn't afford internet, folks uh, who were broken, folks who didn't have jobs. And she would hear their stories, relay those stories to me. And it became very apparent that God was calling us to plant a church. And our story is a little bit different because church planting is a, it's kind of a buzz thing. Um, lots of guys are planting churches. Lots of guys are wanting to plant churches. Mm. Uh, that really wasn't how I started out. I didn't start out wanting to plant a church. Mm. Um, God planted that in me and, and in my wife's heart, planted in our hearts. But then we were asked to plant a church huh. by the leadership there at Church at Cane Bay, which is a little bit different. Normally you have aspirations and you go and you pursue it. But we were kind of having that on the inside, and we were asked to by Church at Cane Bay. Um, they had always wanted to plant a church in the city of Goose Creek and didn't have the leadership there for that. We felt like God was calling us to plant, didn't know where or when, so we met in the middle, and here we are. That's really cool. So you guys saw through doing life, basically, through living in this area of people in Goose Creek that were hurting, were broken. Um, there was a need there, and you guys had already seen this need just from, from living there. Yeah. And then Church at Cane Bay comes and says, we've been wanting to plant a church in this area. Would you guys consider it? Had you voiced to the leadership any of this before they approached you about planning a church there? Were they aware or was it no? Yeah. As a matter of fact, that we did. Um, side story. <laughs> I had a job at Chick-fil-A at the time. I was a pastoral resident or a church planning resident with them. And uh, I had just been reading the book of Ezra for the last several weeks and um, I remember working at Chick-fil-A one day and I was doing probably one of the dirtiest jobs that has <laughs> in all of Chick-fil-A. And um, I just remembered my mom being stirred with what I had read that morning in Ezra about how God had kind of turned this pagan king's heart and used a pagan king, one who didn't have a relationship with God to begin with, wasn't a part of the Israelite promise and family. God changed his heart, changed his mind, and that's in Ezra 1, and uh, used that whole story, that whole mm. process to build a temple there for the glory of God. And I remember reading that, and I was working that day just kind of knowing the language of every man, woman, and child, knowing the language of every man, woman, and child, and seeing that God is a missionary, that mm. God cares for the harvest, so to speak. Mm. And he mm -hmm. cares so much for the harvest that he turned this pagan king's heart to use it for his glory. So I texted the pastor there, uh, Charlie Swain, and I said, I've got to meet today. I've got something that is just burning in my bones, so to speak. I didn't actually say that. He would have been weirded out by that. But I, I told him, I, I've got this 
something that I have to do. And if I don't do this, I'm not going to be able to move on to the next chapter of my life. This is the next chapter that God's calling us to do. Huh. What was the dirty job you were doing? <laughs> That's like, I'm so curious about that now. Were you cleaning toilets? No, I wasn't. I So a lot of people know this. A lot of people don't. Um, Chick-fil-A actually gets their chicken raw. It's not cooked. Bags and bags and bags of raw chicken. And sometimes you, you uh, my job was to put the raw chicken into the thawers so that it would be thawed out. Well, you come in the next day and after they have thawed out, blood, fat, um, everything has settled at the bottom of the cooler. (laughs) And I just remember being, you know, with this rag, just cleaning it out. A lot of people are like, yeah, sure. You thought of getting into church planting after that. But I just, I vividly remember (laughs) cleaning out the blood and the chicken thaw and God was speaking to me. Just another way that Chick-fil-A points to heaven. That's right. (laughs) So, time frame so from that time that you talked with charlie and caught him to the time that like is day one of creekside first sunday about how long of a time elapsed almost two years two years almost two years from i said from the moment i said i believe god's calling us to plant a church to the very first launch service it was Mm -hmm. about Maybe maybe two and a half, three years, um, as I think about it. Uh, there was just a whole process of timing. Um, I don't know if you know this, but although I do have a few gray hairs, I'm, I'm only 27. So yeah. at the time, I was 24. Um, some things had to develop in me. Mm. The church had to be at a time where they could actually send us out, send us out well, and had to raise money, had to secure a location for us to meet, had to raise a team build a staff so all in all is about two two and a half years somewhere in there and i know this story because it was one of the first stories you told me the first sunday for creekside church it was a little unusual for this area yes it was what happened on that sunday the first sunday creekside church ever had um was obviously a sunday it was january 7th 2018 and on January 3rd, 2018, Charleston got probably the worst snowfall that it's had in 25, 30 years. Seven or eight inches of snow on the ground. <laughs> Which is like, when was the last time that happened in this area? 20 oh, years ago? Yeah, that 25, 30 years is, is what I've heard. And the day or the week that we're getting ready to launch, snowfall everywhere. And that's kind of the reputation that we have now as a church, is we're the church that launched in the snow. Um, let's just say January 6th, the day before our first service, was not my best day. <laughs> uh, if you're familiar with the fetal position, I wanted to crawl up in the fetal position and didn't want to see anybody, didn't want to talk to anybody. And um, lots of churches were closing. Um Parking lots were icy, roads were icy. It was pretty risky. Yeah, this area is not equipped to handle even really an inch of snow. No, no, no snow plows. No, but I have to hand it to our team. You know, we had prepared for this moment for six or seven months, and by team I mean our our launch team, the men, women, and children that made it run there that day. And um, 
it, it, I had family in town, you know, I, I wasn't going to tell them to go back home. And I finally just said, um, the school's okay with it. Um, it's not too dicey that people are going to flip a car or anything like that. So we went with it and it was still to this day, one of the best days that, that we've had as a church. Hmm. That's awesome. So what would you say is your philosophy on leading as a pastor? And I guess um, there's probably two sides of that coin. So how does, what's your philosophy in leading a congregation as a pastor? And then what is your philosophy in leading the staff as a pastor? Are those the same? Are they different? I have three goals in mind for leading our church. Three things that I want or philosophy one is I want to remove myself from the equation and just be able to connect people with God Mm. I also want to be able to connect people with each other other believers and I want to connect each I want us to connect with the lost Mm. so connect with God connect with each other as a church body as a church family and connect with the lost where Creekside Church differs a little bit is in that philosophy, so to speak. Um, they would say, we have to pick and choose. And they would break that down a little bit and say, well, we need to give everybody an opportunity to grow. Essentially, we need to focus on discipleship. We need to focus on our relationship with God, focus on our relationship with each other. And we're going to leave mission to the, to the back burner, so to speak. Or the reverse of that says, we're just going to focus on, quote, evangelism. We're Mm -hmm. going to focus on reaching out to the lost. And they would, in essence, leave discipleship to the background, Uh, leave it not not at the forefront, so to speak. So whenever I say that we want to connect people with God, we want to connect people with each other, we want to connect people with lost, we want to try and do all of those things simultaneously mm. through missional communities, through huddles, um, where we're out sharing the gospel with each other. And because we're out sharing the gospel with each other, we're, we're going to fail. There's going to be moments and times where we fail. And that drives us to our knees to be in prayer, drives us uh, to our needs yeah. to, to say to, and cry out to Jesus that we are totally dependent on you. And the reverse of that is true, too. If we're making disciples and we're growing deeper into our walk with God, deeper into our walk with Christ, as we see more of who Jesus is and as we surrender to him, he's going to drive us then to be on mission, to be obedient. So I would say that my philosophy is is just those three things. In terms of leading the staff, it's basically the same thing with exception to priority. Uh, They are my top priority, Um, making sure that I pastor them well, that their families are known, their families are loved, cared for, reaching out to them to make sure that their walk with Christ is is good, um, to make sure essentially that they're connecting with God, make sure that they're connecting with other members of our church, Mm -hmm. primarily under the teams that they lead, whether it's worship, kids, so forth, and then also connecting with lost people. Um, so it's just a, it's a level of priority. It's also a level of accountability. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Um, what would you say 
in in putting in all, all this work because in order to do that and lead and think about people it's a lot of work i mean and it's a lot of physical but mental it's draining yeah um so what would you say are some things about being a pastor that most people wouldn't realize that's a great question and i'm gonna answer that in a very general broad speaking way so this is not pertinent to me Mm -hmm. um, by myself specifically but this is pertinent for pastors in general pastors of big small churches pastors deal with a great level of hidden vulnerability Mm. let me explain Um, the the president of the united states is on this pedestal uh, the title he is seen as the most powerful man in the world Mm. he is in a position of the most authority in the entire world with that level of authority with that title he is also one of the most targeted individuals in the entire world so he's living at a level of threat that none of us will ever experience because he has that that title, that authoritative voice, so to speak. Pastors are a lot like that in that you see them on this pedestal. You see them up on stage every week. You might see them as these great men of God, these great leaders. But what most people don't often know about pastors is that, first of all, they are under the most spiritual attack from anybody else in Mm -hmm. the church. His wife is probably under more attack than any other female in the church. His Mm. kids are under more attack than anybody else in the church. And if he's a good pastor, he loves his congregation well. When they hurt, he hurts. When they're wounded, he's wounded. So he is, in essence, put the congregation on his back, so to speak. And he's bearing those burdens with them. Again, if he's a good pastor, he loves and cares for his community. And if he's in a particularly broken area, he's going to put the weights of sin, the generational sin, whatever it is, he's going to put that on his back as well. And he's going to be deeply wounded by that as well. And it's not all bad, certainly not. But there is a level of, again, hidden vulnerability where you can't see it, but he's oftentimes going through a lot. And one of the things that, you know, you hear horror stories about pastors and guys who will spend an evening with a family at the deathbed of a loved one or will spend months with a particular family at their dinner table, getting to know them, hear their stories, laugh with them, cry with them, hold their hands in tough situations of life and, And then three months down the road, you know, the same particular family is causing him grief and trying to run him out of town and putting his family under a lot of stress. And, you know, it's uh, he's going to have to stand up every single week and be vulnerable up on stage and preach in front of these same people that he knows behind closed doors are trying to uh, essentially get him out of a job, so to speak. And. 
the best thing that he can do in that moment is just continue to preach and continue to love them faithfully. And that's a really good point. How do you continue to love people when you don't want to love them? Yeah. When it's hard to love them. Yeah. And um, I can say in my time here so far that I have seen you do that very well. Thank Not you. to say that our church congregation is, uh, we have an amazing church congregation yeah, not to say they're causing grief or anything like that no, but, but this again speaking this is the the pastor in general yeah not necessarily sure. our church but the pastor in general is probably dealing with this yeah so just briefly what like i know in the past so this this question is coming from growing up with a dad who's a minister of music um has been my whole life and i can remember hearing as a kid people would say um during the week or whatever, the, the kind of general comment may be, we only work on Sundays. I love that comment, by the way. Oh, it's a wonderful comment. So just quickly, like, what does your, your week look like? Well, I'll start off on hole number one at about eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible timer. Golf clubs out, cleaned up, shining. That's right. Well, obviously Sunday is our Sunday morning environment, and – Right now, we do missional community right after Sunday. It's the best time for us, best time for the group. My Sundays are generally about seven to eight hours long, so mm-hmm. it's a full work day. Um, I wake up, and we'll just go ahead and throw this out there. Every morning, uh, I'm a morning person, 5.30, 5.45, try to hit the gym, um, clear my head, and spend time in prayer, spend time in God's Word, um, spend time just being and abiding in Christ is mm. how I like to start each and every day. Days are staff days where we spend some time together evaluating, casting vision for the future, casting vision for what we're going to do the next week, next couple of weeks, sermon series, things like that. I also do lunch buddies on Monday afternoons where I'll go and sit with some of the kids at the elementary school that we meet at and really be a pastor to them uh, these these young kids and hear their hearts and Tuesdays are all sermon prep days so I don't generally get it done in one day but I like I like to at least know where I'm going like to at least know what's going to be said have some sort of presentation so that starts your sermon prep on average how many hours would you say goes into preparing a sermon anywhere from 10 to 20 Anywhere from 10 to 20 hours a week goes into um, preparing a sermon. Now, if you're doing the math in your head, that's either a third or half of the average work week. Yeah. It goes into a 30 to 35-minute presentation that's going to take place on Sunday. So that's where I like to spend most of that time on Tuesdays, and sometimes I'll get away. Sometimes I'll stay at home. Sometimes I'll you know ride in the office, wherever it is that I can think clearly and um, have a lot of tools and resources Tuesday night has also been the night where I'll go out, visit um, some of the local neighborhoods and stuff like that, knock on doors, see if there's anybody in the area that needs prayer, um, share the gospel with people. I've been doing that on Tuesday nights as well. Wednesdays are the days where I kind of focus on missional communities, focus on uh, another job that I have, which is more focused on city work, other churches that are um, in the area. for the hub network, so to speak, and kind of cast vision a little bit and see where it is that we want to be, where are we where are we going, where are we where are we headed, 
um, pastor any of the families, catch up with all the families that we have in our church, um, touch base with them in some sort of way, make sure that they know that they're loved, cared for to the best of my abilities. And then Thursday's the same, but more kind of a catch-up day. Mm. Um, one of the things that I try to do as faithfully as I possibly can is spend every Friday as a Sabbath where I'm not focusing on anything yeah. other than just being a human being <laughs> right. in a relationship with Christ, abiding and allowing him to refuel me. Mm. The weeks where I miss my Sabbath, I know it. You'll most likely know it. Congregation will most likely know it because I'll, I'm just off because I haven't spent that full day devoted with, with God alone. Which is super important. And most people, I think, would use Sunday as their Sabbath day. But for you, um, and Sunday's I know this day. because I'm there with you, yeah. you, you're getting, especially being a church plant, we have to set up. So we're getting there about 7 o'clock, driving the trailer unloading everything and setting it up in this school space. So you set everything up, you start services at 10. So you're setting chairs out, you're setting lights up, you're setting mics up, then you're rehearsing, you're talking with people, catching up with people. And then you have a full message to preach. Yeah. And I'm always amazed at this about you. Not only that, once services are done around noon, then you go to your missional community, which for those of you out there that don't know what a missional community is, it's just a group um, within the church. It's kind of like a home group. So if you're a part of a church that has home groups, it, that's basically what a missional community is. So you leave church, and I know— Go when, do more church. <laughs> and, and when I leave church, I am ready to just face plant a pillow. I am exhausted. And usually I come home and sit with my wife and son, and we eat lunch— and I'm kind of a zombie, and immediately after, I'm out cold. Um, but you take it another step, and then you go lead your missional community right after church. So you're not done until, what, 3, 4 o'clock? Uh, generally about 2. About 2 o'clock. So you've, had, you've put in a full day on a day that most people would use as a rest day or a Sabbath day. So that's why you take Friday is your Sabbath day. Yeah, and absolutely. And I'll say this. I've been with this group for a long time now. And it's one thing if you're going to lead a group. It's another thing if you're going to see family. Yeah. And that's the way that I've grown to see this town. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to be with family. And we're going to hold each other accountable, be in the scriptures. We're going to see um, just how the family's doing. So mm-hmm. that's really how my perspective is. That's really good. Keep charging. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what would you say quickly, if you could pick three goals, what would you say are three goals for Creekside Church in this Goose Creek community? Yeah, absolutely. I'll say, first of all, in terms of character, we'll start with character. I want every person involved with Creekside Church to have three different levels of character. And I'll just say them briefly and speak to them briefly. First, I'd like for every person affiliated with Creekside to have a surrendered heart, just good soil, so to speak. I'd like to see us generous uh, giving. I'd like to see us all disciples, Hmm. following Christ, abiding in Christ, growing, giving, going, essentially. And, And those are the characters that follow, characteristics that follow with it. So surrendered, good soil. 
um, generous and disciple. In terms of practicality, I'd really like to see every person involved in a huddle. I'd like to see every person deeply in accountability through so, through a huddle. And a huddle is a one-on-one relationship, one-on-two relationship where a person meets um, with someone else from our church, someone from where they work, family member, whatever it is, in a home, in a coffee shop, at lunch, wherever convenient to them, anytime, anyone, anywhere, uh, where they're sitting together, reading the Bible together, praying together, in accountability with each other, asking the hard questions, not just the 80%, but the 100%. So that's in a nutshell what a huddle is, and I'd like to see every person in our church involved in a huddle, uh, which we're getting ready to kick off a new huddle challenge when the summer starts. You've already spoken to missional communities. I'd like to see everybody involved in a missional community. And then last but not least, my favorite is that our church is pursuing 500 gospel conversations this year. And that is a lofty goal. But as of right now, we're over 100, which Mm. is really cool. And not just that we're trying to have 100 gospel conversations for the sake of having 100 gospel conversations, but because who those lives represent on the other side who are having an opportunity to hear, see, and respond to the good news of Jesus, maybe for the very first time in their entire life. So those three things, huddles, missional communities, 500 gospel conversations for this year, and that's very practical, very, yeah. very practical. Yeah, it's a plan. It's a structure. You know, it, it, it has an idea, but there's achievable goals and steps to get there. It's trackable. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And With the ultimate goal of sharing the gospel Yes, in the Goose Creek community. Um, one last question. All right. Maybe bring it back full circle. If the Lord had not led you to being a church planner, if you had been a world champion, <laughs> WW, now WWE, is that correct? Uh, yes. I guess back in the day it would have been WWF. Thanks for showing respect. Yes, it okay. is WWE. So if you had been a world <laughs> champion, big old belt wrestler, what would your name have been? Oh, that's a great question. What would my name have been? Uh, that's a man. Hmm. From time to time, I still think about this, believe it or not. <laughs> I think my name would be something along the lines of the beast. (laughs) (laughs) The beast. Uh, Just because my favorite UFC fighter, his nickname was the beast and short stocky guy. He would just literally pick people up, slam them. And that was pretty much how he went about his business. But yeah, the beast. Something along the lines of the beast, the, and that, in a nutshell, makes me sound like a weird human being. But <laughs> the beast. The beast. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. You know, I'm really going to be excited to see uh, my son comes along here in the next couple of months. Oh, that's and, right, yeah. And by the way, I, I said this last week, but just to clear up any confusion, your son is named Malachi. Yes. My son is actually going to be named Maverick. Maverick Eli, and my it's a strong name. Yeah, Good name. in terms of goals for life, I want Maverick to love some WWE with his with his pop. <laughs> I have a feeling he will. I have a feeling he will. He might be doing some off the ropes, like jumping off the couch as he gets older. And yeah. you you might 
get him landing squarely in your stomach with an elbow one day. That's totally right. unprepared. He's already got strong kicks. He kicks his mom. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we are out of time for this week. Um, David, thank you for sharing some of your thoughts, some of your philosophies, some of your goals and aspirations for uh, Creekside Church here in Goose Creek. Um, join us next week. We are going to have one of our pastoral interns, Adam Butler, has just finished up writing his book called Bubblegum Gospel. And we are going to have him on. David and I are going to ask him some questions about that book and the process that went into writing it and um, why he wrote it and um, what his goals are for it. So if you like what you hear, please go on to any of the podcast sites, the platforms that I mentioned earlier. Uh, subscribe to us. Give us a listen. Share with your friends. This is going to be a weekly thing that we do. Uh, every Thursday morning, we're going to be putting out a new episode. So stay tuned. David, thanks again for, yes. for talking with thanks us. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And if you want to come to Creekside Church, you want to say when it is? 10 a.m., Devon Forest Elementary, every Sunday. We'd love to have you anytime. Come on out and join us. Okay.